Uh, thank you, Pastor Keith, and I am so glad you are back. I was getting a little worried because I'm not going to be in charge of y'all people. Like, you're all crazy. I'm not going to take over. So, um, in fact, I kind of joked in the first service, I, I joked about touching up on my fly fishing skills because, yeah, if he's not coming back, I'm not going to be a pastor at all. I'm just going to go be a fly fishing guide, and that's going to be my full-time job. So, uh, I'm glad he's back, and I don't have to quit. So, all right. Well, let's dive in. Uh, John chapter, first John chapter three, and I'm going to, that's going to be our starting text, but also turn to John 15, Romans 5, Matthew 28, put a thumb in all of those, first John three, John 15 and 16. I don't think I said that the first time. Romans 5, Matthew 28. I guess what I'm just going to say, I'm going to, if you can't keep up with the scriptures that I mentioned, just write them down as I mention them and then you can study them later. But to kind of get us started, we're talking about this idea of being marked by the gospel. And I wanted to share a story uh, from the time when I was a teenager. When I was 17, I was working for a small time construction company. Uh, my dad pastors a small church in Pennsylvania and, and a guy in our church at the time ran a roofing company and we kind of did some basic remodeling and deck building and that kind of thing. So uh, it was during the school year. I think it was in the fall, but I'm not entirely sure. But um, we didn't get the job done on Friday, so there was some work on the weekend, and he kind of was like, Matt, if you want some extra hours, if you want to go out to the job and screw down some deck boards, that would really help me out. I have some uh, supplies I need to get from the hardware store, so that's what I'll be doing. But go ahead and take the work van out there. Uh, you know what to do, and then uh, when you're finished, just go home or whatever. And this is, young people, I don't know if you understand this, this was before the days of cell phones, okay? So you didn't, like, there's no way to text or communicate like you act the phone was connected to the wall like that's I don't know anyway so just keep that in mind so I do the job and I get finished and I'm driving the 1993 Econoline board work band back to the shop and in, in western Pennsylvania on these back roads they're kind of tiny roads there's not enough room hardly for two cars to pass you kind of have to just kind of hug the shoulder and so you kind of tend to drive down the middle the road. Um, anyway, so I'm driving down this tiny little back road and a chipmunk runs out in front of me. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that stupid teenager swerved to, to miss the chipmunk and wrecked the van. It's not what I did. I knew enough not to swerve to miss the chipmunk. In fact, in my depraved mind at that time, I think I even tried to hit the chick mom. Okay, like I just, sorry, I'm not saying that's what you should do, but like that's probably where I was. So I, I drive past the chipmunk. I wasn't sure if I killed it or hit it or not. And, and you know, when you're 17, you're curious to see what happens. And so I glanced in the side mirror to see if there was a flattened chipmunk behind me. And there wasn't. I must have missed him. God saved his life or something. But in that moment, in that split second of distraction, there was, must have been a subtle curve in the road or I had drifted a little bit and didn't realize it. And the front right tire of that work van dropped off the asphalt into the ditch and just pulled the rest of the van over into the ditch. So two wheels in the ditch, two wheels on the, on the road. And I'm probably not buckled and I'm bouncing around, tools are flying around, I'm bouncing through this ditch. And the other thing that happened was as soon as those front tires hit that ditch, a wall of mud just came right up over. I don't even know how that's even possible, but completely covered the, the entire windshield and blinded me. So I am like, 
totally blind, don't know where I'm going, don't know what's in front of me. All of a sudden, I hit something huge and hard with the, the right front tire, boom, and it, it, it throws the van back out onto the road. I don't know how that happened. God, I think God just like picked it up and just put me back on the road. But what I realized immediately, I found the windshield wipers and cleaned them, realized that I'm sitting in the middle of the road, I come to a stop, I realized I have a, a flat tire, pop the tire instantly. And so, I don't know how to fix the flat tire. Don't have a cell phone. Uh, I'm miles from town. I'm like, you know, 10, 11, maybe even farther than that, miles outside of town. Can't get a hold of my boss. Uh, don't know what to do, who to call. And so I, I see a house up through the trees, back a lane. And so I like literally walk through the woods, knock on a complete stranger's door. Yes, I didn't text them. Like I walked up and had a face-to-face -face conversation with a complete stranger and asked them if I could use their phone. And I had to dial a number that I had memorized. <laughs> It's a completely different era, okay? <laughs> and the number I had memorized that I thought uh, was somebody who was home that could help me, <laughs> I don't know why I just thought of this, but it wasn't my father. Uh, I called a coworker of mine, the foreman of our team, and I asked if, you know, I told Jim, I said, hey, I said, this is where I am, this is what happened. He's like, I'm on my way. And he showed up probably 30 minutes later, something like that, and helped me get the flat tire fixed. He knew where the jack was, knew where the tools were, knew what to do, knew where the spare tire was, all that kind of stuff. And I just, in that moment when he showed up, I was instantly relieved. Up to that time, I was incredibly stressed. Like, what is my boss gonna think? How am I gonna get home? How are we gonna get this fixed? What is all, how do I even get out of this mess that I'm in? And I share that story to try to illustrate to you in some small way the, the, the feeling or the result that the gospel should have, the impact that the gospel should have on our lives. In our teaching team discussion this week, somebody said it's like war being over. It's like a, a, a doctor announcing healing from a terminal disease. It's something that seems so impossible that is terrible and, and hopeless has suddenly been restored and uh, made new, mended. That's the effect, that's the feeling that the gospel should have on our lives is when we accept it, when we feel it, when it's marked us, when Jesus comes in and does his work within us, it literally changes us from death to life. That is how the scriptures describe it in 1 John 3. It says there in verse 14, we know we have passed out of death into life. Death into life. That's impossible without God. Do you understand that? Death to life is impossible without God. And no matter what scientists may have tried to come up with, and we've been trying as a society and as a culture in this modern era to develop or to create life out of nothing or out of matter or out of something that's lifeless, it's, it's not been done. It's, it's impossible. We are so far away from it even in this advanced time that we live in. And so death, even physically, is only possible if something supernatural takes place. 
And spiritually speaking, and this is what the word is referring to, is, is our state before God was like unto death. It was hopeless. And when he showed up, when he intervened, it's as if he took us from death to life. And it says, we know that we have experienced this because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's a strong picture of the kind of change that takes place in us. Goes on, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Jesus paid the price for us. And our response is we ought to lay down our lives for others. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Here's the gospel. The gospel radically changes us. And this is not in your notes, but if I were to try to define the gospel in my own words... I would describe it like this. I would say the gospel is the work or the pursuit of God through Jesus Christ to restore us to himself. See, here's the problem. Uh, This is a full room. Um, We have people sitting out in the corridor. We have people uh, probably joining us online, on demand. Maybe it's later in the week. Maybe it's live. But all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. All of us have been separated from God, not by something he did, but by something we did. In fact, the scriptures describe this in the first book of our Bible. In the book of Genesis, it talks about the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. They were created sinless. They were created perfect, yet they had the freedom to love and to choose to relate to God. And it talks about how God would come to them in the cool of the day and walk with them. How many of you would like it if God would just come and meet you at least once a day and just walk, literally walk beside you and just talk with you? And that's what Adam and Eve experienced. Yet in that context, they still were deceived. They still rebelled. They, they were given clear instruction by God that was to, designed to protect them and to preserve the state, to preserve the, the relationship that they had with him and to preserve where they were living in the garden. But they rebelled and they were deceived and they fell. And the reality is because of their sin, now we've all sinned. The, the, the curse has been passed on to every single one of us. And so all of us have a need we have, uh, we, we, are, we are separated from God and we have to get back to him. The, the relationship needs to be restored, but we can't do it. And so God, in his loving kindness, in his mercy, he sent his son to pursue us and he never gave up on us. And even though our sin and our guilt deserve some form of punishment or even death, Jesus took our place and died. He literally physically died to pay the penalty for sin for all of time. Not just like a certain level of sin, all of sin. So in your worst moment, God saw it. He knows about it. And he still loves you and he's still pursuing you. And he's saying, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. And not only did he die to pay the price for your sin and my sin and the sin of the entire world, but he rose again from the tomb, proving his power over death and grave and evil. And he declared that he is sitting in a place of authority over it all. But we are still in this life. 
We are still living in a broken, fallen world. And so Jesus, he left, he ascended into heaven, but he, he sent the Holy Spirit. The scripture describes him as a comforter or an advocate to continue the work of Christ in our life. And even though Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father, by the way, he's praying for you, he's interceding for you, he's still involved, he still sees you right where you are, he has sent his spirit to work in our lives if we would allow him. John 16 says this in verse eight, when he, speaking of the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin concerning righteousness, concerning judgment. What's crazy is the verse before that, he, he's standing there, Jesus is literally physically standing on the earth with his disciples and he said, I must go away. In fact, it's better for you if I go away. And you know, I talked about God coming to walk with you. How, anybody okay with Jesus walking with you every single day? Anybody okay with that? Now, just logically, let's just think about this. Jesus in human form, in physical human form, he can't be with me and you at the same time. You know, uh, Lou goes to the hospital. He's going through some treatment right now for a medical condition. We're praying for Lou. If Jesus sits with him, he can't be with Tom over here. Or this Tom over here. <laughs> Any other people named Tom in the room? Anyways, but his spirit can. His spirit, so Jesus left, but he sent his spirit so that he can be with me and Lou and Tom and Tom and Tom and somebody else. You know, He can be with all of us simultaneously in spirit. I like how Dr. Avery put it about a year ago. We had our spiritual renewal weekend and he was preaching from this very platform and he talked about this very concept and he talked about how he related it kind of to an athlete. He said, there's no way that uh, like somebody like myself or Dr. Avery, we can't play basketball like Michael Jordan. That's, that's impossible. I don't possess his characteristics. I don't possess his height, his length, his ability to shoot the ball, to jump, whatever it might be. I can't do that. But if somehow the spirit of Michael Jordan could come live inside of me, it would transform the way I play the game of basketball. And that might sound a little bit silly because we're like, well, that's impossible. But that's what Jesus Christ has called us to do. He said, I need, I'm calling you. I've changed you. I've forgiven you. I've died for you. I've loved you. And I'm asking you to live differently. I'm asking you to live differently. And we're like, well, that's impossible. We can't live like you. He's like, but my spirit can enable you to do it. And so I'm sending my spirit to, to live inside of you, to empower you, to enable you to live differently. And we're like, how can this be possible? It's through the simple act of faith. According to Romans 10, if we believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and we believe that God sent him to earth to die in our place and we believe that God has raised him from the dead, it says we will be saved. John 17, three says this, Jesus is himself is speaking and he says, and this is eternal life. If you want to go from death to life, it's about knowing Jesus. It's knowing the one that you speaking to God have sent. It's a relationship. Ephesians 2 talks about this. For by grace we are saved through what? Faith. It is the gift of God. And faith is the great equalizer. 
Faith is something that all of us can participate in. In fact, Hebrews 12 says that Jesus himself is the beginner or the author of our faith. And so not only did um, he create us, not only did he pursue us, not only did he die for us, not only did he say, send his spirit to us to empower us, but he has drawn us to himself and he has given us the spark, the desire to pursue him in faith. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, white, black. It doesn't matter if you're old, young, handicapped, healthy. It doesn't matter. Faith is is accessible to all. And all of us walk through the door that is Jesus Christ. So if we just simply believe in him, we have access to all that he has to offer. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to earn it. You trust it. And the Holy Spirit, again, is at work through the entire process. And then if that is the case, if we accept it, if we trust in him, then there should be evidence. There should be a result. There should be a change in our life. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified or made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into the grace, his love in which we stand. And as a result, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, there's a change. There's a change in us when we are marked by the gospel, our lives look differently. This is just kind of my way of of thinking about it, but I I was thinking about how to articulate this kind of change. And I kind of thought of this concept of, of, in the 10 commandments, it says that we are not to put any other gods before God himself. We're not to pursue any false gods. And we don't really, uh, I don't think any of us have any actual statues in our homes or wherever that we might pray to, but we do have false gods. There are idols that we tend to run after. We, we tend to put our, our faith and trust in things other than God himself. For example, we might be tempted to put our faith in the God of financial wealth and security, but the person who is marked by the gospel, the difference is no longer trusting in ourselves or trusting in our wealth, we now trust in Christ for ultimate blessing and ultimate security. We know that we are safe in him. Maybe we might be tempted to to pursue the God of power or control, but instead of that, we now allow Jesus to be the one who is in control. Maybe we would pursue a way to numb away pain or brokenness. Maybe there's something in our life that causes some sort of deep hurt. Maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical, and we, we pursue some sort of pleasure or medication or substance to try to numb the pain or escape the pain. But instead of pursuing that, we now pursue Jesus himself as the source of our joy and the source of our healing and the source of our restoration. Maybe some of of us are sitting here today and we have relational brokenness and, and we're dealing with loneliness and depression and anxiety as a result. And so instead of pursuing a person to fix our problems, we now see Jesus as the one who we have primary relationship with rather than another person who ultimately cannot bear the weight of our lives. And so instead of pursuing someone else, we pursue our relationship with Christ. Here's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to position the gospel as what 
ultimately we all long for. It's what we have always been chasing after. It's what we've always been pursuing, whether we knew it consciously or not. It's what we truly long for. And if there's anything in our life that feels broken or incomplete or, or just not right, I would submit to you that the gospel is what is missing. Jesus said it this way, the, key, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so in the final moments that we have together, I just want to articulate five things that I think should be evident in the lives of those of us who have been marked by the gospel. And I have basically one goal. For those of us who have been marked by the gospel, I want you to know that, I want you to feel confirmed today in your spirit. Because the enemy will try to come at you and say, you think that Christ has changed you, but, he, but you're really on your own. And he'll try to undermine whatever experience you, you have with God. And I want you to hopefully find encouragement and confirmation today. But if you're sitting here today and there's something that's missing and you, don't, you haven't been able to put your finger on what it is, I want hopefully to clarify what the gospel can do and the role it God wants to play in your life. First of all, if you're taking notes, those of us, if we have been marked by the gospel, this is what should be evident. First of all, we trust, those who have been marked by the gospel, we trust in God's plan of restoration through Jesus Christ. We trust God's plan of restoration through Jesus Christ. I talked a lot about faith. The act of faith is trust. We, we put our hope in God's plan for our lives. It completely changes us. We understand, here's simply how I would think of it. We understand that we are here today, not because of anything we have done, but because of what God has done for us and in our lives. Someone who's been marked by the gospel isn't sitting here today thinking to themselves, I've got it all together and I found my way here on my own and God is pretty pleased with me because I'm that good. No, Those of us who've been marked by the gospel acknowledge I would not be here without God. In context of that, it doesn't mean our life is perfect. It doesn't mean we don't have bad days. It doesn't mean we don't have hard days, painful days, suffering. It doesn't mean that everything in our life is perfect, but when we we understand that God is still at work in spite of our suffering, it again confirms that we are marked by his name. So if you're going through a time of suffering or pain or difficulty today, if you've been marked by the gospel, you know that Christ is not the cause of it, but you are running to him because you understand that he is your refuge. The Bible says that the name of the Lord is a a strong tower, a refuge for those who are in times of trouble. And so those of us who have been marked by the gospel, we don't blame God for cancer. We don't blame God for disease. We don't blame God for financial hardship. We know that he is going to be with us through those things. And ultimately he is going to restore us in the way that he sees best. And we trust his process. We trust his work. I would also say that even in times of difficulty, those who've been marked by the gospel, our response to God in blessing and in trouble is worship. 
And it may not be, I'm still learning this lesson, it may not be our first response, but eventually it may take a few days or a few weeks or even months, but we, we begin to realize that God is still to be praised or still to be worshiped, even in the middle of the storm. We still run to him, we still go to him, we still put our, life, our lives in his hands because we trust his process. Number two, we humbly, we humbly, and that, key, that is a key word, we humbly honor God's word as our final authority. There's some things that are just, they're just plain as day in God's word. He says, do not lie, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Uh, those are some obvious ones. Do not worship any other gods but, but me. And some people might read that list and we call it the 10 commandments and we might read that list and say, well, God is a, a pretty selfish, demanding, harsh God, but I want you to know that he has positioned the gospel not only as a, it's not just something for us to do to please him, it's for our good, it's for our blessing. And so when he says, don't do that, do this, it's, it's for our health, it's for our benefit, it's for our blessing. But I'll be honest with you, there are some things in scripture that they're not as clear. In fact, inside our very own church walls, there's some differing opinions on things like worship styles or what the end times are gonna look like or which translation of the Bible is best or leadership roles within the church. There's different, and I would say, secondary issues that we do not agree on totally. But even in those specific areas, I would submit to you that the Bible is clear about what is most important. And so as Christians, we humbly position ourselves, we humbly honor God's word as our final authority. And it's difficult to put our own opinions and priorities aside, but if we're truly marked by the gospel, I'll borrow the words from, the, from John the Baptist where he says, I must decrease so that he must increase. That's our attitude. Now, if there are disagreements with other people within the church, I'll just mention, I'll just go back to a, a few of the ones I mentioned. If there's different, different opinions on the style of worship or the kind of music that should be in church, we can have that debate. We do it in unity and love and, 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 and that's okay. But, but we always defer to the highest or the, the primary principle, which is God should be worshiped in spirit and truth. He is our primary focus. We're not worshiping other people on this stage. We're not, we're not just coming in and just going through the motions. We're, we're not just, uh, you know, we're not putting our faith in other people or pastors or priests or bishops, whatever it might be. God alone is our primary focus when it comes to worship. And I believe if that remains our focus, then it will be a unifier. If we can have this debate on end times, some people think that the rapture is gonna take place in this and the beast is this and the antichrist is this person and um, they're telling you not to vote for him this fall probably, but anyways, that's a, uh, I just felt like it was a little tense in here and they needed to kind of break that a little bit. I didn't say who it was, anyways. But the point is, we can have this debate. And it's okay to have this debate. It's an insider argument, if I can say that. Say it that way. It should not divide us. Because what is primary is, is Jesus our first love? And are we ready for when those events begin to unfold? Are we ready? That's what we should be focused on primarily. Yeah. 
There, there are debates about roles in the church. Should women have these kinds of roles? Should men have these kinds of roles? We can have that debate. And I have people on who have totally different opinions and they will look me straight in the face and they'll say, this is not my opinion. This is God's word. And I'm like, I know two sold out gospel transformed Christians who have humbly placed themselves under the authority of God's word and still have a completely different opinion on this. Well, it's not primary that we agree exactly on that. What's primary is that we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the supreme commander of the church. That's what's primary. Finally, just another area that, you know, we can talk about translations of the Bible. Which one is best? Is it the King James, is it this, is it that? Or, or is the paraphrases, that's not really scripture? What about this other, pe- other group of people that did? Here's what's primary. We can have those debates. They should not divide us. But here's what's primary. God's word is perfect and he revealed it to us and we have the written word of God and it is trustworthy. That's what's primary. And I believe that if we put ourselves humbly under the authority of God's word, it will unify us. Do we have different opinions on some of these things? And there's a whole host of other things that I could have probably touched on. But if we're going after what is primary, that will unify us. And I would submit to you that the next one is, you can't have these without the other. Number three, we need to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because there are some things that we've experienced and there's lenses with which we we view the world and we view our lives. And and because of that, it's really difficult to, to peel away Um, our preferences and priorities and see it exactly as God sees it. We're human, we're flawed. We don't have everything perfectly understood in our minds. In fact, I don't even think we're designed to understand it perfectly. Only God. And that's why we need to submit to his leadership in our lives. I'll go back to that verse I mentioned earlier, John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. If you're waking up every single day and you're saying, God, I give you my heart, I give you my mind, I give you my eyes, I give you my hands, I give you my feet, you are in charge. I have a hard time believing that he will lead you down a path that you'll regret. I just don't buy it. If we wake up every single day and we say, God, according to your word, I acknowledge that I need you, I trust your plan, I'm gonna submit to your word and I ask for your spirit to lead me today. I don't think you're gonna, I don't think you're gonna regret your day. It may not be the perfect day, it may not be the best day you've ever had, but you're not gonna have any regrets if you follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You might say, how do I do that? I don't know if this, this is just Matt, okay? This is not, I don't have a verse for this, but this is just me. Have you ever felt like you should do something, but you just did not want to do it? It's probably the Holy Spirit, okay? (laughs) If you want to do something and you have a a sense that you should not do it, also probably the Holy Spirit. If your desire is opposed to what you feel like you should be doing, now, Caveat, you have, to, you have to be relying on him. You have to be reading his word on a regular basis, engaging with him on a, uh, 
every single day. And this is, I, I don't really have a verse for this one either, but there's something about when we, when we go through our days and we exert energy and we work and we parent and we go through the responsibilities of our day and we do our best to make a difference, there is, there's something to that giving out that depletes our energy. We get hungry, we get tired, and we need a refreshment on a regular basis. And I'm not saying if you miss a day in, in, in talking with the Lord, then he's writing you off. Take the legalism off it. He's not interested in your performance or your perfection. But there's something about a continual renewing of the Holy Spirit. We need to check in with him on a regular basis and allow him to fill us. Ephesians talks about this concept and, and this is not um, a, a, a sermon on wine or alcohol, but it, this is the verse, Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And that word filled implies that it's a continual filling. It's not just a one-time thing. And so in your effort, in your routine, in the way that you exert your energy, you're going to get tired. You're going to get worn out. And so go back to God. Go back to a place where you can find refreshment and submit your life intentionally to the Holy Spirit. I talked about um, how to do this. It, it, it's, it's spiritual. But I think just in, in your prayer time saying, God, I give you my life. I give you my head. I give you my mind. I give you my eyes. I give you my hands. Asking him to lead you, that's, that's a starting point. And if you do that on a regular basis, I believe that what he talks about in John 10, he says, the sheep will know the voice of the shepherd. You will, your ears, your spiritual ears will begin to recognize the voice of the one who wants to lead you and guide you. Number four, if we've been marked by the gospel, we will commit to living out the great commission. Matthew 28 articulates the great commission. Jesus, literally some of the last words he said on earth, he said, uh, he said uh, go into all the nations, uh, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is a charge that we believe that he did not just give to his disciples, he gives it to all of us who have been marked by the gospel. And we need to put the, the Great Commission in context of our calling. So if you're sitting here today and you have a family, if you're a spouse, if you have a husband or a wife or children, the Great Commission needs to be lived out in context of your family. God does not call you to go do something in such a way that you disregard your family. Deuteronomy 6 talks about how, like, you know, the greatest commandment, you are to love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind. And it says in that same passage, teach them diligently to your children every single day when you wake up, when you go to bed. Like, at every opportunity, teach your children. 
Ephesians 5 also talks about um, marriage and it talks about husbands laying our lives down for our wives and, and wives giving honor and submission to our husbands. And this is not a marriage sermon, but I am fresh off of a marriage conference. So um, I would love to just pause here and preach like three or four sessions to you on that because, it, it, but, but here's the point. God has called us to reach our families with the gospel to live it out, to, to proclaim it to our kids, proclaim it to our spouse, proclaim it to aunts and uncles and people that are naturally within our world, they should sense and see that we have been marked and changed by the gospel. Does it, maybe it doesn't mean you preach to them at every Thanksgiving and say, okay, instead of going around the table, what we're thankful for, you're all gonna hear a sermon, listen up, you need to hear this, you need to get some notes out. It's not about that. It's not about beating them over the head with it, but it's about living it out in an attractive way that they want what you have. This also expands past your family into the world that God has planted you. So your work, your community, uh, school, whatever it might be that is the people that you regularly, regularly come in contact with. You know, someone once asked Jesus, they said, you know, how do I be saved? And Jesus said, you have to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he added, and your neighbor as yourself. And the person asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, look around, everyone's your neighbor. But let's start with the people that are closest to us. In the context of the Great Commission, he told the disciples, you're gonna go to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the rest of the world. Let's start with the people who are close to us. Who's, who do you rub shoulders with every day? Maybe it's somebody that you're working with or going to class with or serving. I don't know who's in your world, but there's a good chance God has called you to reach that person with your word and with your actions. If you've been marked by the gospel, we will organize our lives around living out the Great Commission. And it will not leave us wanting. Finally, I would say, and this is obviously right in line with the Great Commission, if we've been marked by the gospel, we will love those inside and outside the church. I'm gonna ask the worship team uh, to come on out. Um, I'm running a little bit behind, and so here's how we're gonna end the service. My watch is chirping at me, I don't know why. I think there's probably two different kinds of people in this room, maybe more, but there are those that may be sitting here today going, I, I need a, a fresh, kind of renewing work of God in my life. I, I believe that I've been saved. I, 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 I trust everything that you have said. I believe it. I believe that God has pursued me. I believe that he's changed me, but things have been a little dry recently. Things have been a between me and God just don't, it feels like I'm distant. I just haven't heard from him. It feels like there's some, something off in our communication. I want you to know that he sees you. He still loves you. He's still pursuing you. His presence is still available. And you just need to intentionally just say, God, I need you again. In the busyness of my life, I didn't intend to, but I've, I've sort of just gotten distracted with everything and I need a fresh I need a fresh work in my heart that kind of just rejuvenates my desire to, to live out the gospel as you've called me to live. And then there may be somebody sitting here today and you're like, 
I have not understand this at all. Like this is kind of new to me. I don't understand all of it. This moment is for you too. I'm gonna ask you guys to stand. And um, if you would like prayer, if you would like to talk with somebody just about where you are and just receive encouragement and prayer, I don't do this very much, but, and the room is full and I get it and it's, there's kids and all kinds of stuff you might need to pick up. But if you just need a moment, uh, I'm gonna invite you to come forward during this song while we sing, we're all gonna worship. But while we sing, if you want to talk with somebody or pray and just meet God, you can come forward. And if you wanna move, you can move right now. Um, there's no pressure, there, you don't have to do this. It's not like if you don't do this, you're not going to heaven. It's not like that. But if you just want some encouragement, if you wanna meet God, and you wanna come down front and pray while we sing, you can do that. Our prayer team is ready. If you wanna pray with somebody, they're gonna be ready for you as well with the red lanyards. But let's sing. Britain, lead us. This song is called Here Again. Let's meet God here in this moment.